once again, it is good to see each and every one of you out this morning. Good to see so many who have been away from us for a little while and are able to be back with us again. want to welcome every everyone. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 is a verse that many have memorized, and for good reason. It says, Without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. As we start a new year, it is common amongst pretty much everybody to be thinking about what is possible. We think about failings of the past year or things that we didn't do quite as well as we would like. And we think about the possibilities of the year ahead and what we might be able to accomplish, what we might be able to do better than we have done in the past. And that is a good thing. But rather than do the cliche start of the year, you can do it, make those resolutions type sermon, I thought we would do things just a little bit differently this morning. The word can't is, in my opinion, one of the most negative words that you could use. I guess technically it's two words, cannot, right? But at least for me, when somebody says, well, you can't do that, there's no way that you can accomplish this, that, or the other thing. It, it puts a little spark in me, and I say, watch me, right? Or at least I, I want to try and do it, see if I can do what somebody said can't be done. But what we have to recognize, especially as we're thinking about resolutions or things we want to accomplish, is that while we certainly want to keep a positive outlook on things, as we always should, there is a limitation to what can be done. And that limitation exists where God has said it cannot be done. In other words, there are some things that God says are impossible. And we've noted one of those in the verse that we had just read. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. And so, this morning and this evening, we're going to spend some time thinking about how people sometimes expect the impossible. And my hope is as we look at some of these things, we're going to be able to better modify what we are aiming to do in this new year and in whatever years God sees fit to give us looking forward into the future. Now, uh, I used this particular movie poster on our slide. I don't know if anyone's seen that movie. I don't think I've seen it. But... Uh, if you look at that poster, uh, you know, this movie stars The Rock, who, you know, is a big guy, very athletic guy, and he's 
jumping off some kind of uh, crane or something to, I guess, land in that open window there, uh, thousands of feet above ground there on the skyscraper. And I uh, came across this uh, mock-up that somebody had done. They said, I've mocked up some parabolas for the rock skyscraper jump. Red is assuming he jumped up a bit first. Green assuming he ran forward and somehow didn't lose momentum. Yellow for a sort of squat thrust thing. Whichever you choose, rest in peace, the rock, you are dead now. <laughs> there, there is no realistic way for him, <laughs> as that picture is depicting it, to land the jump that he is making. And so I thought maybe that would be a somewhat humorous way to illustrate what we are talking about this morning. So throughout the lesson, you can stare at the rock jumping through the air there at the bottom of the slide. The first point that we're going to notice is that it is impossible to have satisfaction without sacrifice. And we're going to make some application of that point to some of the resolutions that we as human beings often make at the start of a year. But I want us to first think about this in the sense of spiritual things. As we think about our ability to be cleansed of our sins, to be forgiven of our trespasses against God, there could be no satisfaction of the debt that we owe to God had it not been for the sacrifice that Jesus made. And we see that pointed out several places throughout Scripture. We're going to note just a a sampling of those, obviously, this morning. But in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7, noticing there it says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Our redemption is made possible through the blood that Jesus offered. The Hebrew writer made the comment in Hebrews 9 and verse 22 that Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. And he, of course, was talking there in context about all the sacrifices of the old law and then talking, of course, about the sacrifice of Christ as well. But making the same point that consistently there is no removal or satisfaction of the debt that we owe because of our sins unless there is a sacrifice made. Come back with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, where we have this well-known prophecy of the Lord. And we're going to read together just a portion of this, the latter portion of the chapter, starting in verse 10. It says there, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Notice verse 11, he says, He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, he shall 
Divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for them. And so we see, as it pertains to our salvation, that there can be no satisfaction uh, in regards to that debt that we owe without the sacrifice of Christ. I want us to also think about our service to God and how that likewise demands sacrifice on our part. You come with me over here to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Jesus said to them all on this occasion, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, and notice, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And so the idea there of taking up our cross, of denying ourself, is the idea of sacrifice. And we have to sacrifice things in order to walk acceptably before God. We cannot live however we see fit to live. We have to often deny ourselves, deny ourselves the pleasures we are seeking to enjoy perhaps, or reminding ourselves to be engaged in certain activities that God commands as necessary, that sometimes perhaps are not the easiest things to be engaged in. Maybe we face persecution or some other kind of hardship in, in trying to do something that is defined by God as good. But this is what is expected of us. In the Roman letter, Romans chapter 12, and the first verse there, Paul writes and says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, notice a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And it certainly is reasonable when you stop and think about all that Jesus has done for us when we did not deserve it, that we would likewise be willing to sacrifice our very selves, our very wills, in service to our God. Your sacrifice is often painful. It, it, it costs us something. That's, that's intrinsic to, to what a sacrifice is. And I think that's well illustrated back here in the book of 2 Samuel. I'd like us to come back here and notice um, a section of this chapter. 2 Samuel 24 and we're going to start in verse 18, and we'll just read down through the end of the chapter. Now, in context here, uh, David had done some things he shouldn't have done. He'd conducted this census when God told him not to, and so uh, this plague has come upon the people, and he's seeking to make that right now. And so, verse 18, it says, Gad came that day to David and said to him, Go up and erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arana the Jebusite. So David, according to the word of Gad, went up as the Lord commanded. Now Arana looked and saw the king and his servants coming toward him. So he went out and bowed before the king with his face to the ground. 
And he said, Why has my lord the king come to his servant? And David said to buy the threshing floor from you to build an altar to the Lord, that the plague may be withdrawn from the people. Now Arana said to David, Let my lord the king take and offer up whatever seems good to him. Look, here are oxen for burnt sacrifice, and threshing implements, and the yokes of the oxen for wood. All these, O king, Arana has given to the king. So in other words, he's saying, Look, you don't need to, you know, I'll, I'll give you everything you need. You know, you're the king. I gladly will serve in, in this way and offer up these gifts. Uh, so then he continues and says, May the Lord your God accept you. But I want us to notice David's response in verse 24. He says to Arana, No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. Nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built an altar there to the Lord, offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And so the Lord heeded the prayers for the land and the plague was withdrawn from Israel. So we see here when David uh, was basically, somebody was just giving him what he would need to make an offering, he says, no, I'm not just going to take this and it's not going to cost me anything. That defeats the, the point of what I'm trying to do, right? And so it is when you stop and think about uh, just how we have to sacrifice things, whether it be our, our time. You know, sometimes you know, we'd rather go do something else, right? Well, I'll sit and study the Bible. I'd rather go out here and play a game or go be entertained or hang out with my friends. But we sacrifice some of that stuff, don't we? And it might seem painful in a sense, but we understand the worth of those sacrifices to accomplish things that are much more important, much more needful. And as you think about, I said we bring this back down to the level of the resolutions we often make at the start of a year. Oftentimes those revolve around our physical health, don't they? We want to lose weight or we want to get in shape in some way. Well, there's, there's pain, there's sacrifice that is necessary if you're going to accomplish those goals. If you're going to be satisfied at the end of this year, looking back and say, you know, where have I gotten? Am I at the weight I wanted to be at or am I... Uh, you know, at the physical level that I wanted to achieve. If you're going to reach that satisfaction with yourself, you're going to have had to have sacrificed some things. You know, uh, no more cake before bed and, you know, you have to give up those soda drinks and all those things that aren't good for you. You have to sacrifice things. And so it's, it's really a consistent truth both with spiritual things and with physical things, that satisfaction requires sacrifice. It is impossible otherwise. Now, the next point, I, in some ways, ties in to that concept. It is impossible to be mature or to reach a level of maturity without knowledge. Sometimes we try and cheat. Have you ever uh, been around somebody, maybe at work, 
and you know that they know more about a certain thing than you do, but you try and just uh, learn a few buzzwords or things that make you maybe sound like you know what you're talking about so that you can maybe interact with them on some level to where they think more of you than <laughs> what they really ought to. You know, we try and uh, camouflage what we really know about something just so that we don't look stupid. You know, sometimes we do that kind of thing. But that's not really getting us anything, is it? It's not really uh, reaching a level of maturity, whether it be about knowledge pertaining to some aspect of our work or spiritual things. You know, we can do the same thing with spiritual knowledge sometimes. Feigning maturity is not the same thing as maturity. If we want to be mature, we have to put in the time that is required to learn what God wants us to know. And that ties in with the first verse that we had noticed this morning. Hebrews 11 and verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Well, how does that tie in? Well, Romans 10, 17. What does that say? Faith comes how? How do we begin to have faith? Well, it comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. It is the Word of God that can perfectly equip us for every good work. Another passage that many of us probably have memorized is in 2 Timothy, in chapter 3, the last couple of verses there of that chapter. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. We cannot be thoroughly equipped for every good work if we do not go to the source that enables all of those things, which, as we see here, is the Word of God. You know, Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6 is an oft-quoted verse from the Old Testament. We don't often study the book of Hosea, necessarily, but we, most of us anyway, know what chapter 4 and verse 6 says, because the Lord there says, my people are destroyed. Why? He says, because of a lack of knowledge. And oftentimes we can look back through history and see that that very much was the case, that the Israelites themselves got into much trouble because they forgot and not so much maybe that they forgot, but they just failed to properly educate themselves as their ancestors had done as to what God's will was for them. And so, as they departed from God, difficult times came. Over here in the book of Hebrews, chapter 5, Verse 12, beginning, the Hebrew writer, as he spoke to his audience, says, By this time, you ought to be teachers, but you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. You've come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses 
exercised to discern both good and evil. So we talked a minute ago about the physical exercise and how there's sacrifice and pain involved in that process. Well, we see the same word used here in regards to our knowledge of God's will, right? We have to exercise ourselves. We have to discipline ourselves, set aside time and make sure we stick to a routine of study and meditation and application of God's word. It's it's not something we can accomplish just by being here three times a week. Now, it certainly helps to be here three times a week, right? And to utilize those opportunities, but it has to be more than that. We have to do it daily. In 1 Peter, First Peter chapter 2, and the first three verses there, it says, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. Now, this passage here is utilizing the word or the analogy of babes and milk differently than the Hebrew writer was. There he's talking about the milk of the word versus the meat of the word. Here he's talking about the analogy of how a newborn child desires milk, right? And we know how vocal a young infant is when they are hungry, right? Well, we have to have that same mentality. That's the point that he's making here. We have to yearn for that milk of the word, that nourishment, if you will, of the word, so that we can grow. If indeed we have tasted that the Lord is gracious, he says. In 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15, another well-known verse, be diligent or study, as the King James says, to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So if we want to be mature as we ought to be, we have to discipline ourselves, take the time to get the knowledge that is required. Final point this morning is that we cannot have forgiveness without baptism. It is sad that so many in the world today who would claim to be teaching the gospel or following Christ seem to leave out this very important truth in regards to the plan of salvation. They will twist the word of God ever so slightly and say that baptism is not required for a person to be saved. It won't take us long. I, I just put a very small sampling of scriptures here because there's a plethora of them, but you don't need many to very clearly show that baptism is absolutely essential. It is impossible, we would say, to expect salvation without it. I'd like us to first come back to the second chapter of the book of Acts. And we're just going to read through uh, this chapter, at least a, a good portion of it here, towards the end, after Peter has been preaching the gospel to the Jews there in Jerusalem. 
And in verse 36, of course, as he's kind of summarizing or concluding his initial speech, he says, Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And it says that when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Don't worry about it. You are already saved, but you should be baptized as an outward sign of the grace that you have received in... Now, that doesn't say that, does it? That does, that's not what your Bible says, is it? My Bible says, Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children, to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Why would he say be saved if they were already saved? <laughs> you see? Be saved from this perverse generation. And those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Who added them? Verse 47 says, The Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now, it takes a lot of mental gymnastics to read through that text and to somehow reach a conclusion uh, different than what is plainly taught. To somehow be able to say that baptism is not essential for salvation. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, the Apostle Paul there said that in Christ there is therefore no condemnation. And so, if we want to be free of condemnation, we have to be in Christ, according to that verse. So, how do we get in Christ? Well, again, let's let the Bible answer that question. Over here in Galatians chapter 3, notice verses 26 and 27, it says, You all are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus for... As many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. We could just keep reading there. Verse 28, he says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. And you are heirs according to the promise. And so... As we see, the person would be saved. They must follow the pattern outlined by God. Some of these patterns of men might seem appealing in some sense. Well, if I go over to this church, they say I don't need to get wet. I never really understood that because <laughs> is it really that big of a deal to be plunged under the water and have to dry off, ooh, big deal, right? It's almost like people are afraid to get wet. And so they've come up with all these reasons why uh, we shouldn't have to be baptized. 
It's such a simple action that God commands. It's a symbolic action. We know in Romans 6 it tells us that it's a likeness of the death and burial and resurrection of Christ. But without it, the Bible very simply and plainly says we cannot be saved. We cannot be forgiven of our sins. And so perhaps one of your resolutions for this new year is to come out of your sin and begin a walk with the Lord. That is something that is very possible, and you can accomplish that simply by doing what the Bible teaches, as we have just noted together. And so if that is your resolution, we'd love to assist you with that as we conclude our lesson for this morning and are about to sing this song of invitation. Likewise, perhaps as you look back over the past year, you have done some things you ought not to have done, and perhaps you feel the need to publicly renounce something that you've done and ask for forgiveness. We would love to pray with you this morning. Go to God on your behalf. Perhaps as you start this new year, you are burdened by something and you need strength this morning to be able to face whatever it is appropriately. If that is your situation, again, we would love at this time to assist you through prayer. Whatever your need would be, we would simply ask that you would make these things known by coming up to the front of the auditorium. And so do that now while we stand and, and while we sing.